Scripture reading. Tonight's scripture reading will be from uh, Mark 5, verses 1 through 8. Mark 5, verses 1 through 8. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadareans. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tomb a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by the God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Good evening. One of the most concerning attitudes that I hear from Christians in general and members of the church alike is that you don't really have to try to do right. Sin is just this category of thing that God doesn't like, and you're not really supposed to do it very often, and as long as you're regularly forgiven, then you're fine. You'll be going to heaven, and it's, it's not a problem for you to live that way. This apathy towards sin stems from a view that letting God into your life is an inconvenience that you deal with to go to heaven, and that evil is just a category of thing, and you can enjoy that as long as you are regularly forgiven. The Bible, however, describes a totally contrary view of sin than this. Sin is not something that we're supposed to enjoy in guilty moderation, but rather sin and the influence of evil are something that we're supposed to drive out of our lives entirely. And some of the best passages for examining what the influence of evil looks like for a person are passages that talk about demonized people, specifically in Mark chapter 5 and Mark chapter 9. If you would turn to Mark chapter 5, or if you're already there, we'll go and look at that more specifically in a moment. We often shy away from teaching practically about passages from demon possession, often for reasons such as, that doesn't happen anymore today, someone might say, so it doesn't have any value for me. But the Spirit thought that it was important for us to have it, profitable for it to be inspired into the copy of Scripture that we have today, and we do ourselves a disservice by not looking at these passages practically because they provide for us a pattern for dealing with sin that we can still use today, here and now, in the 21st century, the same way that they did in the 1st century. The way that they dealt with the influence of evil is the same as we are supposed to deal with the influence of evil. When they had a problem with sin, sin destroyed a person, and Jesus was the only way that they could get help. And today, right now, sin still destroys a person, and Jesus is the only way that we can get help. To take sin seriously and really try to escape from it, you must lay yourself at the feet of Jesus and ask for his help. We don't have the power to fix our own lives, just like these people who had problems with demons in the first century did not have the power to fix their own lives. The only way that we can remove sin is through the help of Jesus Christ. And the only way that we can keep sin and the influence of evil out of our lives is by filling ourselves with the Spirit of God and allowing Him to be the primary influence rather than the influence of evil. Sin destroys a person. Jesus helps a person. 
And only the filling of the Spirit keeps sin out. So first, let's look at how sin destroys a person. In Mark chapter 5, as was just read, starting in verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. But he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. The garrison demoniac was in one of the most unenviable positions of any person, certainly. Nobody was looking at this man and saying that he was living it up and this is a life that we would want to emulate. The man was afflicted by two primary symptoms of the problem. He could no longer live in his community. He was totally ostracized from the people that he knew, and he was harming himself. The influence of evil in our lives can, both, can have both of these two effects on us today. If you embrace the influence of evil, it will damage the relationship that you have with your loved ones. Sin can separate you from your family. Sin can separate you from your friends, and sin certainly can separate you from your brothers and sisters in Christ. We may not necessarily be wandering around in tombs screaming every day because of our sins, though I I suppose it's possible, but we may find ourselves outside the body of Christ because of the sins that we've been committing, because of the evil that we've allowed into our lives. And that's not a position that we want to be in. Likewise, sin also, in a sense, is self-harm. We, of course, sin out of our own free will. It is my choices that lead me to sin. It is my choice to sin, ultimately. And what that means is that any damage that's done to me by my sin is self-harm, as it were. Maybe not physically, though certainly in some cases it would be, but there's emotional and mental damage and spiritual damage that we take when we sin. If I sin and I distance myself from my family, I damage trust between myself and a person, Uh, problems come up in my life that I have to handle because of my actions, that's a way that I'm hurting myself. All this is to say that the influence of evil that they dealt with in the first century is none too dissimilar from the influence of evil that we're dealing with today in our lives. All to show you that the pattern for solutions that they had in the first century is the same as our pattern for solutions today. In Romans chapter 7, verse 19, Paul writes perhaps some of the saddest words ever written by a man. I practice the very evil I do not want. If we're apathetic towards sin and we don't recognize that sin destroys a person, we turn that phrase into, I practice the sin that I want a little bit. I practice the thing that I want sometimes. That's the wrong view. Instead, our goal should be to turn it the other way. I do not practice the evil that I do not want. I do not practice these things that I do not want. If we're apathetic towards sin, we're giving in and we're not keeping the correct mindset. We're not looking at it as this destructive force in our lives as we well should. In Mark chapter 9, verse 22, a boy's father brings him to Jesus and the boy is afflicted by an unclean spirit... And the father describes the problem by telling Jesus that the spirit throws the boy in water and in fire and that it seeks to destroy him. Now, if you just read that passage on its face, you might reasonably assume that this means that the spirit is trying to kill him. It's throwing him in water and fire, so destroy means kill. But it could be more clearly translated here, ruin. The spirit is trying... 
influence of evil in this boy's life is trying to ruin his life. And sin is the same way. If you allow the influence of Satan into your life today, if you allow the influence of evil into your life today, the result of that will ultimately not be that you become better for it. The influence of evil still ruins us the same way that it ruined people in the first century, or at least it sought to ruin people in the first century. Our actions have consequences, and the, action, and the actions, or the consequences of sin, rather, are negative. So even if you're living a life where you're allowing the influence of evil into your heart now, and there's no consequences immediately, there will be consequences on the other side of eternity. But I would guess that there will still be consequences for you in the here and now, in this side of eternity as well. Sin will ruin our lives, and the influence of evil will destroy us if we allow it in. Now, thinking evangelistically, neither of these two people from Mark chapter 9 or Mark chapter 5 are in a position that we would want to leave somebody in, but sometimes we see other people who are living their lives in sin, they have a place for evil in their lives, and we think that they're probably happier this way. They're probably more content to live the way that they are now, so I don't want to bother them with the gospel message. But if we really believe that sin is destroying a person and that sin is this destructive force that the the Bible tells us that it is, then that should never be our attitude. We should boldly be proclaiming the gospel to those around us who are caught in sin because they have a problem that must be dealt with. There's something that has to be done to help these people because they're on the path to ruin, if not on this side of eternity, certainly in the next. Thinking about ourselves as well, we may decide that we are content with the way that our lives are. We have some pet problem that we've had for a long time. It's kind of hard to get rid of. It's not really hurting me. I kind of, I kind of enjoy the pleasures of this part of this sin, so I'll let it be. It's not, it's not really causing me any trouble now. If we wouldn't keep that mindset about people who were possessed by demons in the first century, we wouldn't say the influence of evil was good for them, they were probably enjoying themselves, then we should not think that same way about the influence of evil in our lives now. The prince of demons, Satan, that afflicted these people is the same person that afflicts us today when we invite evil into our lives, when we make a place for sin in our lives, which means that the result for us will be the same, and we should see ourselves trying to flee this rather than see ourselves as content with this. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul says that the wages of sin is death, and if we're content with sin in our life, then we're content with our own deaths. If sin paid its wage immediately, and we immediately faced all the consequences for it as soon as, it hap- as, soon as a sin was committed, it would be far less attractive, but we have to view it as if it does, because the consequences will come in one form or another if we don't get the help that we need. Sin in your life must be dealt with. And one more point under this, the world will offer you as many distractions as possible to give you something else to do other than fix spiritual problems. But that's not acceptable. There's nothing more important at your job, at school, on Facebook, anywhere, that you need to focus on instead of dealing with your sin problem. Because if sin really does destroy a person, then it's destroying you right now, and it's a problem that you need to solve right now. You need to seek a solution. 
The Gerasene demoniac was unable to live among people. He was harming himself regularly, and the boy who was afflicted by an unclean spirit similarly was having his life ruined by the influence of evil that he was dealing with. So they both needed a solution, and the solution for them was to go to Jesus, and that same solution exists for us today. We have to go to Jesus for help. Sin destroys a person, but Jesus helps people. So in Mark chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed before him. This verse is really interesting to me because the pronouns here indicate that it is the man himself that runs up to Jesus rather than the demons within the man controlling him to do so. And this logically follows. If I give my life over to Satan, as it were, I should not expect that the end result of that decision would ultimately be that Satan would walk me over to Jesus and save my soul. That's a ridiculous, that's a ridiculous way of looking at it. There's no reason for me to believe that the influence of evil is ultimately going to make me better. But sometimes we think that way. We think, I can let this sin sit in my life, and eventually things will work themselves out. But if we're not looking for a solution, if we're not laying those problems at the foot of the cross, then we're going to be carrying them with us forever, and they'll continue to be a part of us, and we have that apathy of sin that's so problematic. We have to deal with these problems, and this man took the action necessary to deal with these problems. Indulging in the worst parts of yourself will not bring out the best in you. And additionally, there's no perfect ratio between good and bad in your life. You're not going to be able to find balance with your inner demons, as it were. You're not going to be able to find the right balance between the influence of evil and the influence of God in your life, where now it's acceptable. It's one or the other. You must work to push the influence of evil out of your life. Allow Jesus to remove the influence of evil out of your life so that there's room for good. Otherwise, you're leaving that destructive force a part of yourself. So the man comes and lays himself at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus helps him. He did, the Gerasene demoniac did not come to Jesus and learn a trick that he could use to help himself. When we need to solve a problem materially, you have a problem with your car, you can learn how to solve that problem yourself. It's not impossible for you to handle it on your own. But when you have a spiritual problem, it's not possible for you to learn some trick that absolves you of your own sin. It's not possible for you to learn some trick that expels the influence of evil from you the way that the influence of Christ does, which means that we always need him as part of our solution, and there's no way that we're going to be able to solve any of these problems without the influence of Jesus. In Mark chapter 9, verse 17, the boy's father had to bring him to Jesus in order to get him help, and sometimes people in the world are like this too. It's easy to identify the symptom of a problem sometimes sooner than you identify the cause of a problem. Somebody may be able to look at their life and identify that something is not right. Their relationships are being harmed by something that they're doing, but they couldn't tell you what it was. Or there's just some issue going on in their life, and they can't really tell where it's coming from. Sometimes people may even identify that they have a sin problem. They may understand what sin is and that there is an issue there that needs to be solved, but they don't know the solution is Jesus. All of these cases are seekers, people who are seeking the truth, people who are seeking Jesus. They're looking for help, and we should be in the business of directing seekers to Jesus. 
directing people who are looking for answers to the problems that they face because of the influence of evil that's so pervasive in the world, we should be looking for ways that we can help them solve those problems, or we can help them get to somebody who can solve those problems, and that is Jesus Christ. That's the only way that they're going to get those, those solutions, just like this boy needed his father to take him to Jesus, the only solution for him. Sometimes we may find ourselves in a position where we need to be laid at the feet of Jesus more than we're going to be able to lay ourselves at the feet of Jesus. And what I mean by this, very practically, is sometimes, maybe you can relate to this, there's a sin that you've committed and it's hard for you to believe that God is going to be able to forgive you. It's hard to accept that God can forgive this evil that you've done. Sometimes even intellectually we know that God can forgive any sin that we lay at his feet, but it's really hard to hand that sin over to him. We have trouble forgiving ourselves, and we have trouble asking for forgiveness for ourselves. In James chapter 5, verse 16, he advises that we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another, and this is a way that the church can become the support group that lays our problems at the feet of Jesus so that they can still be solved even while we grapple with accepting the fact that we can be forgiven. If I regularly am committing myself to confessing to people the problems that I'm having. If I have a relationship where I trust somebody enough that we can talk about those things and we pray for each other mutually between our problems, then I can rest assured that those problems are being solved. These things are being taken and laid at the feet of Jesus and I'm getting the help that I need. If we refuse to involve our brothers and sisters in the process of our spiritual healing, it may not happen at all. This boy did not take himself to the feet of Jesus. His father took him for him. And sometimes we need to be open and honest with each other enough that we have the opportunity to pray for one another, and we certainly need to make sure that we are praying for our brothers and sisters so that they can get the help that they need. If we really believe that sin destroys a person, then we should be making sure that everybody gets the help that they need from Jesus. Lay those in need at Jesus' feet, and he will help them. When we think about problems, usually I especially like to think that I'm very self-sufficient. We all like to think of ourselves as independent. We can handle ourselves. We don't really need anybody else to sustain ourselves to make everything work. But for spiritual problems, that couldn't be further from the truth. We have to humble ourselves sometimes and accept that there's no solution within ourselves for our own problems. I do not have the power to become my own savior. We also don't have the power to save anybody else. And the disciples learned this lesson in Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, the boy's father brings him to Jesus. And uh, in verse 18, he describes that... The boy could not be helped by the disciples. They were unable to cast out the spirit. And the disciples later in verse 28 asked Jesus about this. It says, when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. It's easy as solid Christians to think that we probably know a thing or two about dealing with sin. You've picked up some wise words from people. You have some good advice for dealing with problems. So, you know, you probably don't really need God to help you save this person's soul. You, you can probably work it out between each other just fine. But that's not true at all. 
The disciples did not have the power within themselves to save anybody else's soul. The only way that they were going to get help for this boy was by petitioning God for help through prayer. That pattern stems to today. We do not have the power to save each other's sins. Only God has the power to save anybody from their sins, which means that he must be part of the equation for our salvation. The work of Jesus Christ must be part of our salvation, or else it's, it's simply not going to be sufficient and it won't be effective. We have to humble ourselves and accept that the solution lies outside of ourselves, but then once we do that, we can go and ask God for help. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 says, Ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened for you. Which just simply means that if you're looking for a solution, if you're looking for the truth from God, then he will make sure that you can get it. All we have to do is ask. And that just means we have to humble ourselves and accept that we need help and then lay it at the feet of Jesus. And he will help us. Sin and the influence of evil will destroy a person, but there is a solution. Jesus is that solution. Jesus can help us. And the only way to keep sin out once we've gotten it out is to fill our lives with the influence of God, to fill yourself with the Spirit. The influence of the Spirit has to fill our lives in order for there to be no more room for the influence of evil. You can get your life on track. You've been forgiven of sins. You no longer are committing those sins. They've been moved out of your life. And then you can go back to living in the world, perhaps not back to the same lifestyle that you were living before. But that's not going to be sufficient to fight the spiritual war that we're all facing. This mindfulness, self-help guru type solution to problems that we face in our lives, trying to, to fix issues in your life, is not sufficient to keep the influence of evil out. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, describes that we're fighting a spiritual war. And in verses 10 and following, he describes the implements of the spiritual war that we are fighting, that being the armor of God. The armor of God does not come from any source except for God himself. There's no solution in the world. There's no worldly answer to spiritual problems. There's only heavenly answers. There's only answers that come from God, which means that there's no way that we should expect the influence of evil to stay out of our lives unless we invite the work of God into our hearts. Unless we invite the influence of the Spirit into ourselves, there's no reasonable expectation that evil will stay out. Jesus discusses this specifically in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 43, which reads, Now when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. This way it will also be with this evil generation. If you open the door for Satan into your life, into the house of your life, in manner of speaking, he will walk in. If you invite the influence of evil into your life, it will come in. If you leave room for the influence of evil in your life, it will come in. Which means that just getting your life together and getting back on track and having healthy habits and all these different things is not sufficient to keeping sin out of your life. The influence of God has to be a part of it. The work of his spirit has to be a part of your life. 
Otherwise, you have not solved the problem at all. And in fact, your sin will come back with a vengeance, Jesus says. So we have to look for real solutions to our problems. A good kind of way to think about this is in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 and following, Jesus describes that uh, you know a tree by its fruit. And the fruit of our life must look like that of the fruit of the Spirit rather than the works of the flesh, of Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and following. If the course of your life is directing you regularly toward the works of the flesh, the fruit of your life tends to look like that then you're not on the right track. But if the fruit of your life is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, then you're on the right track. You have the right influence in your life. But that's a good way to check. See which things are coming from you. What, what influences you're inviting. What things within yourself are driving you in what direction. And then you'll be able to tell if it's good or bad. You know a tree by its fruits. Everyone could always use more love, joy, and peace, etc., which means that the influence of God can never be overdone. You can never be too full of the Spirit. You can never have too much Bible, too much God, too much Jesus in your life, which means there should never be a point where you stop, you're full, you're no longer inviting any more work of God into your life. We should always be seeking more of that, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, as it were. Allow the Spirit to fill you, or Satan will destroy you. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says that the devil is prowling about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If you're leaving openings for evil, then you should expect them to be filled with evil, because Satan is looking to fill those openings. If you're leaving yourself defenseless by not working with God and having a relationship with him, then you should expect to be devoured by the influence of evil, by Satan. Peter says in that verse that we should be sober-minded. Think seriously about your spiritual problems. Think seriously about sin. Sin is a destructive force. Sin will ruin our lives. Sin will harm us. We will harm ourselves by sinning. We'll be ostracized from, our, from the church by sinning, which means that we have to think seriously about it and we must be sober-minded and working against it constantly. And the only way that we can work against it is with the help of God. These accounts of demonized people seeking help provide us with a clear pattern to follow for ridding our lives of evil. We are not our own saviors. We do not have the power to fix our own problems. Laying down at the feet of Christ and giving your life to him is the only solution for us for the influence of evil. It's the only way to solve the sin problem. There's no room for a Christian to look at the works of the devil as the fun part of their life that they can enjoy in guilty moderation. Rather, they must be something that we're constantly working to expel from ourselves with the help of Jesus. The only way to make strides toward a better, more fruitful life is petitioning God for help and filling yourself with his spirit. If you have a problem with sin in your life that you're not dealing with, you have a destructive force that you've invited into yourself that you need to get rid of, then the solution for you is the same as it was for these people in the first century. Lay yourself at the feet of Jesus and ask for forgiveness. If you're outside the church and you haven't been baptized and you haven't received the gift of the Holy Spirit described in Acts 2.38, then today is a great day for you to do that as well. 
Whatever your need may be, please come while together we stand and as we sing.